If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Uh, we are uh, going to uh, continue in our series on the book of Luke tonight. We'll continue for many months to come. Uh, we, we talked last week about Luke chapter 4. Now we're backing up just a, a chapter to, uh, to look at Luke chapter 3 tonight. Luke chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Trachonicus and Lysinius, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low, and the crooked paths should be made straight, and the rough places smooth, and all the flesh hmm, shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people ask him, saying, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what's appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or falsely accuse, and be content with your wages." Now, as all the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly... Hear me say, he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, rebuked, uh, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in a prison. Let me uh, 
just add on to this tonight. I, I wanted to give you some background of Luke, but I didn't really have time to do it. I really have uh, been asking the Lord to help me to shorten my sermons, and tonight is not going to be one of them. And so I, I need to be careful. Dave said, Rhea, you need to give background about Luke. And I said, I just have too much to say about tonight. And, and, and so I just wanted to read you this one little bit of the introduction of Luke, because you need to know this before we go on in in the study of the book of Luke. He begins writing and he's saying, I am writing to you, mighty lover of God, an orderly account of what Jesus, the anointed one, accomplished and fulfilled among us. Several eyewitness biographies have already been written, using as their source material the good news preached among us by his early disciples, who became loving servants of the living expression. But now, I am passing on to you this accurate compil compilation of my own meticulous investigation based on the numerous eyewitness interviews and through research of the story of his life. It is appropriate for me to write this, for he also appeared to me so that I would reassure you beyond any shadow of a doubt the reliability of all that you've been taught uh, by of him. I believe that Luke is writing this gospel because he knew that sometimes people have doubts. Sometimes you and I have doubts about the Jesus in whom we believe. And, and Luke wanted his, his readers to know, he says, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the reliability of all they've been taught of Jesus. He wrote this book that we're going to begin studying that you and I may know the certainty of things that we believe. He wanted us to be absolutely convinced of the things that Jesus did, and he said. You need to know that Luke was a doctor. Uh, he, we learned that from the Apostle Paul in chapter 4. And that means he would have been a highly educated man. He would have been well-cultured. He would have been a learned man, sophisticated, if you will. We know uh, from commentators that he was a historian. Kenneth Ryken uh, says, Mark was a storyteller, John was a philosopher, but Luke was an investigative reporter. Luke did not write out of emotions or passion, rather he compiled facts and provided an accurate historical record about Jesus. He tells us he did a meticulous investigation. Even though the others, Matthew, Mark, uh, John, had undertaken to compile narratives of the things they saw Jesus do, he didn't just take them at their word. He did his own painstaking research, an autopsy, if you will. He dug to uncover things that others overlooked. And he said he did this because he wanted to give us an accurate account, an orderly account. He was a man who cared about details. He did his research. He interviewed with people. He talked to them about what he saw and heard. He investigated everything, and he did this so that we could study his word and understand the things that happened and be certain about them, be absolutely convinced of them. He wanted his book to be historically accurate. And he left no room for doubt. That's why he began verses 1 and 2 in the way he did, by listing all of those political leaders, all of those governors, all of those tetriarchs. And, and then he says, and he lists two high priests as well. 
You need to know that chapter 2 of Luke closes with a story about Jesus and the temple when he was 12 years old. So now 18 years have passed uh, since that story at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And so Luke marks the passage of those years by dating them historically. He's dating it to make sure that we know this was really an actual event, that it actually happened. And not only does he date his account, <laughs> but he also paints a picture of the climate of that day. The leaders he listed were corrupt and they were power hungry. Evil and injustice seemed to prevail at that time. He added that Annas and Caiaphas were high priests at that time. And by doing that, he wants to make sure that we understand the spiritual climate of that day as well. You need to know that Annas and Caiaphas were wolves in sheep's clothing. I am sad to say that there are some pastors today, some spiritual leaders today who are wolves in sheep's clothing. We need to be careful what we're listening to. We need to have discernment. We need to have wisdom. And Luke is letting us know that the, 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 the high priesthood had turned into what Henry Ironside calls a political plum. Priests were being bought and sold by the Roman conquerors who gave office to the highest bidders. The priesthood was not about spiritual, spirituality or godliness. The fear of God had departed from the land, and we know that. And Luke is painting that picture. It was a dark, degenerate, corrupt, and spiritually dead time that God once that, 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 that God used to at that time speak once again into his people's lives. You need to know that there had been 400 years of silence. Can you imagine? The time between the Old Testament and the New Testament is what we know as the, as the time of silence. God had not spoken to his people or through his prophets for 400 years, for over four centuries People had not heard from God. And now, when, when, when the times looked like darkness and wickedness and evil was prevailing, when those things were dominating, God's word came in power, bringing the hope of deliverance with it. Can I tell you, I believe with all of my heart that right now, in this nation, in this world, it is a time of darkness. It is a time of corruption like I have never seen before. It is a time when it looks like, by, by all appearances in the natural, that, that, that we are, are, the darkness is prevailing. But I need to tell you that I believe with all of my heart that God is raising up a voice in the church, that the church has got to begin sounding a beckoning call of salvation, of deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got to rise up to it, church. Verse 2b says, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So I want you to notice that the word of God did not come to the religious. <laughs> it didn't come to the political leaders of the day. It came to a man hear me, a man who had set himself apart, a man who was committed to hearing from the Lord, one who understood the call and the purpose of the Lord upon his life, and he was committed to fulfilling it. 
As I said, I believe that we are in a dark and degenerate time of life, and we need a powerful move of the Spirit upon our land, and that move is going to take place through men and women who have decided who have committed to set themselves apart for God. Men and women who are committed to seek God's face until he speaks. Those who will be faithful to proclaim his word fearlessly to a lost and dying world. I want you to note that as soon as John received the word of the Lord, he began to proclaim it. I wonder how many of us receive the word of God week after week, but we fail to proclaim it to those around us. You say, well, Rhea, I don't know what difference little old me can make. The, the world is just too lost. I, I, I really don't feel like my voice counts for anything. Can I tell you, John could have said that. John could have said, Lord, the climate's just too dark. Things are too hopeless. How is my standing for your word? How is my proclaiming your word going to change anything? People thought he was a weirdo. Can I tell you? He ate locusts and wild honey. He, he wore... Um, camel's hair clothing. He lived in the wilderness. He could have said, God, everybody thinks I've lost my marbles. What, what, how is my word going to change anything? Can I just tell you that it takes only one person to get a hold of the word of God, to understand the truth and to begin proclaiming it. It only takes that one person to change a world for God. I want you to see that it was a hard word that John came proclaiming. It was not a fine-sounding word. It was not a word to tickle ears of any kind. See, I think we... we Floyd, how are you? Good to see you, brother. It, it, I think sometimes in the pulpits today, we think in order to, to grow a congregation, in order to, to please people, we have to have a fine-sounding word that tickles their ears. We have to say things just right. We can't offend anybody. Where in the world did we get that church? Where in the world did we get that? I read that the word of God is offensive, that people have to trip over it. John clearly was not trying to win a popularity contest or to say what people wanted to hear. He, he obviously had not read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He was not concerned about what people thought of him. Rather, he was concerned for people. He was trying to get them to repent, to turn fully and completely to God. He had heard the word of God and had to be faithful to proclaim, proclaim it. He knew it was his mission. It had been prophesied about him from an angel of God to his father and mother. And, 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 and the angel of the Lord said that he will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient uh, back to the Lord. And, and he will turn many of the children of Israel back to their God. His own father prophesied over him at his birth saying, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High and you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. You will give the people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. I wonder if his parents reminded John of that all through his life. Luke writes in verse 3 that John went preaching a baptism of repentance. One translation said, he persuaded people, he persuaded people to turn away from their sins and turn to God for the freedom of forgiveness. Do you know that you and I have that same commission? 
Luke will say later in chapter 7, For I say unto you, among those who are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But then he adds, But he that is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. He's talking about you and I. Do you know why we are greater? Jesus himself said there's not a prophet greater than John the Baptist, but you, the least in the kingdom, are even greater than him. Do you know why we're greater? Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are called to be a voice just like John the Baptist. We are called to be so filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that when we speak, we speak the very voice, the very words of God to a lost and dying world. It is my prayer. I'm telling you it's my prayer. When I labor before the word of the Lord in the morning, when I sit with him, I say, Lord, teach me. Give me ears to hear as a disciple, as one who has learned that when I step into somebody's life, I have a word that sustains the weary, that I have the very words of God to speak to a lost and dying world. It's our call. John was calling people to a baptism of repentance. The word baptism means immersion. It means submersion. He was calling people to be immersed in in repentance, to be submersed in, in repentance, to live a life of repentance. Luke tells us that he was fulfilling the words of Isaiah the prophet. And let's look at that. Isaiah the prophet wrote, the voice crying of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. The rough places smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You see, well, Rhea, that doesn't make any sense. It sounds like a construction project. That's exactly right. You see, in Bible times, when a king was going in to visit an area of his territory, when he was going to visit his people, those in his kingdom, he would send a herald before him. And the the herald would tell the people, the king is coming. and, and, And you are to clear the way for him. Make the path straight. Make crooked places straight. Clean up the rocks that, that are hindering him from coming through. Uh, take every mountain and level him so the king can come through in power. The citizens would be required to clean up the territory and make a path straight for the king to come through. Can I tell you what? When John the Baptist came as that herald, And he was saying, prepare the way of the Lord. What he was saying is the king is coming. He's coming through and he's he's going to visit your life. And you need to make sure that you are ready for him. Make sure the crooked ways are straight. Make sure that the, the, the rocky ways are leveled out. Make sure any mountains of pride or arrogance or sin are brought down and leveled. Make sure any valley of depression or despair or hopelessness or unbelief is raised up because the king is coming. Do you want a visitation from the Lord? If you do, it will come through repentance. It's not a popular message. It's not a popular message. See, we like this feel-good message. This Jesus loves you, and he loves you just the way you are. He does. He does. I'm so grateful for that message because you cannot have lived a life like I lived and not be grateful for grace that saves you. That I couldn't earn it. I couldn't be good enough for it. He saved me right where I was. But can I tell you, dear one, he loves you too much to let you there. 
And, and there is a place in the Christian walk. See, we don't like to hear repentance. We don't preach about repentance in the word of God, in the pulpit anymore. But I'm telling you, it is very much a thing. And is what God expects of his people because to repent is to confess. To confess is to say the same thing as God. What that means is when I repent, I say the same thing as God. I call sin, sin. I come into agreement with God. How can two walk together in unity, in oneness, unless they what? Agree. You see, if I want to be in unity, in fellowship, in oneness, in communion with God, I have got to come into agreement with him about what he says about my life. I have got to call sin what he calls sin. I've got to call bad what he calls bad. I've got to, call, I've got to say no to what he says no to. And when I get to that place and I, I repent and I say, Lord, I was going this direction with the world and I am turning and I'm headed the other direction with you. I am turning away from sin and towards you God I'm turning towards your ways do you know what happens when we do that we start you see we do not have the power to clean up our own lives you don't you have some mountains of sin in your life you have some rocky roads of offense and, and, and unforgiveness and hatred that, that is, is clogging up your life that, that is messing up the path to your heart you have some valleys of depression and despair and unbelief that you do not have the power to fix. But you see what, what, what John the Baptist came heralding. He said, you know what, if you just begin to call those things what God calls them, if you come into agreement with him about it, the, the king of glory is going to come through your life and he's going to visit and he's going to bring down those mountains. He is going to level those paths. He is going to clean up your life like you have never been cleaned up before. Who is this king? of glory the Lord strong and mighty the Lord strong in battle do you have a battle of sin that you cannot deal with who is this king of glory who wants to come through your life who wants to have a visitation with you with you you see it's not about going to church on Sunday mornings I did my duty, check it off my list. I'm telling you, dear ones, for me, it's about a visitation from the Lord. It's about an encounter with his presence. That's why people don't get changed, because they just come to church on Sunday morning and they check it off their list. They don't tarry. They don't wait for a visitation from the Lord. And I'm telling you, prepare the way of the Lord, because he wants to come through your life. He wants to visit your life. Who is this king of glory? Who is it? Masha. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. Oh, I want a visitation. I want a visitation. The preparation, yes, he is, Renee. He is here right now. And Lord, we thank you for it. The preparation on which he insisted was a preparation of the heart and the life, not a preparation of roads. I want to read this to you in the Passion Translation, whatever you think about that translation. I, I, just, I just want you to understand. So let me just read this to you. John went preaching and baptizing throughout the Jordan Valley. He persuaded people to turn away from their sins and turn to God for the freedom of forgiveness. Fulfilling what was written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, listen, 
you will hear a thunderous voice in the lonely wilderness telling you to wake up and get your heart ready for the coming of the Lord Yahweh. Make straight every twisted thing in your lives. Bring into light every dark way. Make right every wrong. Remove injustice. Every heart of pride will humbly bow before him. Every deception will be exposed and replaced by the truth to prepare everyone everywhere to see the life of God. Luke says later in chapter 8, there is nothing hidden in our lives. Please hear me. There is nothing hidden in our lives that will not be revealed. There is nothing secret. That secret that you think you are keeping from everybody else, dear one, there is nothing secret that won't become known and come to light. So we would be better off just calling it what it is and taking it to the Lord and turning from it and towards him. John was calling his people to get ready, to make straight every twisted thing in their life, to clean up their hearts and their minds, to remove anything that would hinder the movement of the king through their life. John was a voice. Luke calls him the voice. He was that herald that went before the king, crying out, prepare the way. Notice he was a voice in the wilderness, spiritually speaking, God's people were living in a wilderness of unbelief, in a spiritual desert. The, the spiritual road through their life had become crooked and was in disrepair. John's job was to prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah. He called out their sin and announced salvation in the Lord. Wearsby says, you see, we, we don't like the word conviction. There are people that won't come on Monday night because they feel so convicted. Can I tell you, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Wearsby says, without conviction, there can be no consecration. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. John called out people's sin. But he announced the deliverance, the salvation, the life of the Lord. That word for voice is so interesting to me. When we think of voice, we think of like my voice, what you're hearing right now, speech. But, but there's so much more to that word voice if you look it up. It comes from a, a word that gives the idea of full disclosure. <laughs> it means to bring forth into the light, to shed light on. It means to become evident, to be brought forth into the light. The word voice means exposure. Exposure. It means exposed to view. Remember, Luke said there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Nothing secret that won't be uncovered. And John was that voice wanting to expose sin, wanting people to uncover it, wanting people to bring it into the light of God's truth. What was he exposing? Exactly what Elijah exposed. Remember, John came in the power, in the spirit, and the power uh, of Elijah. And, and, and Elijah, remember, he exposed Jezebel, a Jezebel spirit. They both exposed an adulterous spirit, a spirit of immorality, a spirit of idolatry, a spirit of unrepentance. 
We talked briefly at the end of the verse that we read tonight about Herodias. Herodias, uh, John the Baptist had confronted and rebuked King Herod for divorcing his wife and marrying his niece, Herodias. Herodias resented John because he spoke out against that sin. And so she, she, she really, uh, Scripture says she nursed a grudge against John. And she nursed that judge, that grudge to such a point that eventually she, she demanded from her husband that he didn't just imprison John, but that he would behead John. You see, that spirit, that Jezebel spirit, that, that spirit that is so prevalent in the world today, a spirit of unrepentance, a spirit of, of immorality, a spirit of control and manipulation tried to silence the voice. And I'm telling you, dear ones, that same, vo that same spirit will try to silence your voice. When you begin to cry out and proclaim the truths of the word of God, that spirit will come at those voices trying to behead you, trying to shut you up. And that's what happened to John. The spirit of John came exposing unrepentant sin, beckoning us to get our lives together, to clear the way of the Lord, to move through our lives. It was a spiritual call for preparation of the hardened mind for a visitation from the king. Kenneth Ryken says, Christ the king finds easy entrance into my heart, into a heart that's sorry for sin. He says repentance is the on-ramp to salvation. Look at verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, not very seeker sensitive, was he? Brood of vipers. John didn't mess around. He was not looking for that approval of man. He was looking for changed lives. He, he spoke with boldness and he confronted sin. He called them a brood of vipers because he knew that many of the people who were coming to hear him, thousands went out to hear him in the wilderness. And he knew that many of those people may have come to hear him, but they weren't sincere. They wanted to get baptized, but they had no intention of leading a godly life. So John compared them to snakes, to vipers. Like the enemy in the garden was a serpent. John called them serpents. He likened them to vipers slithering away from a fire, fleeing from danger, but still poisonous snakes. Their nature was unchanged. They were fleeing from the fire, but they were still poisonous snakes. Their, their nature was unchanged. All they were interested in was escaping the fire. And he's calling, he, he's using that picture to paint for people who hear the word of God, who, who, who want a quick fix, who wants a fire insurance prayer, who want to escape the, the judgment of God, but have no interest in a changed life. They weren't interested in life change or transformation. They wanted to keep living the way they had always lived. Oh, can I just tell you, I see this today. I see people, I stopped giving, uh, I used to, every conference I went to on the weekends, we travel all the time, and we used to, did we not, all the time, I would give a salvation message, and, and I would ask people to either come forward or to raise their hand if they wanted to receive Christ. I've stopped doing it. 
Because what I saw was I was offering this fire insurance prayer, but people would pray that prayer and they'd think they were fine, but there wasn't any life change. You are here on Monday nights, and I take very seriously the call of God on my life is to deposit a word in you that will change you, that will transform you. I, I take very seriously the call to make disciples. I, I may not have a packed out room, but I promise you I have disciples. That the people who are here are conforming to the image of God they are becoming more like him. But I think so often what we want is we want that fire insurance prayer, but we never have any evidence of transformation or fruit in our lives. We pray the prayer or walk the aisle because we're afraid of the fire. We're afraid of hell. Yet there's no turning from sin. John would say you're a brood of vipers. We want to flee the danger, but we don't want our nature to be changed. Kenneth Riken, one of my favorite commentators, says, one of the best ways to tell if we're really trusting in Christ for our salvation is to examine our behavior. John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is God's standard. If we are truly sorry for our sins, then we will show it by the way we live. We will need a baptized life, a life consecrated, immersed in God. If we're not living righteously, then it's clear we have not truly repented, even if we've been baptized. Repentance means turning from sin. And Jesus himself said, by their fruit, you will know them. Look at Matthew 7, 16 through 21. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree that bears good fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is Jesus speaking. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who sent me. That is serious business. Verse 8, John says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. He's saying, don't bank on Abraham being your father to save you. you. See, the Jews knew they were God's chosen people. They thought they were safe from judgment simply because of the fact they were a Jew. They thought because they had Abraham, they were exempt from judgment. Some of you think because you prayed that prayer of salvation when you were nine years old, you're safe from judgment, but there's never been any fruit in your life. We must understand that our religious connection attending church every Sunday, never missing Bible study, giving financially to the church or coming from a Christian family will not save us. If any of us want to live lives, uh, we, see what we want was we want to live our life the way we want to live it. I'm telling you, I did this. We want to party and have fun and enjoy life and, and live however we want, thinking we have forever to get right with the Lord. And John was saying, he was issuing that clarion call, get your life together because the king is coming. 
Judgment is impending. He said, the axe is at the tree. It's already at the root, he says. Who would be cut down and destroyed trees that did not bear fruit? People who did not show repentance in the way they lived. Verse 9. Even now the axe is at the root of the tree. It was a picture of a farmer who chops down useless trees. Trees that don't bear good fruit. Later, he talks about a winnower who separates the wheat from the chaff, saying that's who the Lord is, that he is going to come someday and, and, and bring the harvest of his people in. And, and they're mixed in with his people are wheat and chaff. Some are good, some are bad. Some are useless, some are, are useful. And he knows, can I tell you, he knows who is his. And the Bible says that he is going to bring his winnowing fork and, and he is going to throw that grain up into the wind and it's going to blow away the chaff, the useless stuff, and all that remains is going to be the useful stuff, his people. John was reminding him that God didn't just look at the outward appearance. He knew what was in the heart. So people were convicted when he said this, and, and they, they, they said, John, what should we do? You see, they knew that they were not living the way that God had, had wanted them to live, and, and they wanted to do something about it. They heard the voice. I, I'm wondering if tonight you hear the voice, and will you respond to it, or will you harden your heart to it? This week I read Hebrews 13 and I want to or Hebrews 3:15 and I want to read it to you. This is why the Holy Spirit says, if only you would listen to his voice today. Don't make him angry by hardening your hearts like your ancestors did in the day of their rebellion when they were tested in the wilderness. There your fathers tested me and tried my patience. Even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, they still doubted me. They ignited my anger with that generation. And I said about them, get this, they wander in their hearts just like they do with their feet. And they refused to learn my ways. My heart grieved over them, so I decreed, they will not enter my rest. So many of you wonder why you don't have rest in your life, why you have constant anxiety and fear and worry and torment. It's because, he says, you refuse to learn my ways. Your feet are wandering. Your heart's wandering away from my ways. He says, so search my heart, your hearts every day. Not once a week, not once a year. Search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure none of you has, an, an evi, has evil or unbelief hiding within you. I want you to see that evil and unbelief hide within us. That we don't even see it. The Bible says we're deceived by the pride of our heart. That you can have, I can have evil and unbelief hiding within me. Almost daily I sit before the Lord and I say to him, search me, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Because I know I'm deceived by the pride of my heart. I know that evil and unbelief can hide within me. And I'm asking you to put your finger on it. He says, search your hearts daily to make sure that none of you has evil or unbelief hiding within you. For it will lead you astray and make you unresponsive to the living God. This is the time to encourage each other to never be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. For we are mingled with the Messiah if we continue unshaken in this confident assurance from the beginning to the end. I, I read that to Leslie this week and she said to me, 
or she read it to me and she said, Rhea, I, I just want you to hold me accountable. It says here, encourage each other never to be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. She said, Rhea, I want you to hold me accountable. And if you see that I'm hardened by sin's deceitfulness, if you see something in my life that, 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 that reeks of sin, that reeks of evil, that, that reeks of unbelief, I'm giving you permission to call it out in me. Scripture says, encourage one another. Never to be stubborn or hardened by sin's deceitfulness. John in verses 11 through 14, when they asked what they should do, he was basically saying true repentance is tied to actions. It's a change of heart and behavior. It's not about words uttered on the lips. It's a heart change. Can I tell you, God is looking for a heart change. He's looking for people who are going one direction towards sin, who see it and call it what it is, who agree with him about that sin and make an about face and turn and go the other direction towards him and towards his ways. Because you've heard me say it a million times, God's pleasant path leads to pleasant places. His way is a way to life, not death. They wondered if maybe he was Jesus and John knew it and, and he says, no, 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 no. <laughs> I baptize you with water, but one who's mightier than I, he's coming and he's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And one commentator writes, a baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire would cleanse and change a life giving new power to live for God and to deal with every issue that hinders love and passion from burning in the hearts. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe, that's needed today. So what's he talking about? He's talking about preparing ourselves for a visitation of the Lord, the King of Kings, coming through our lives. Breaking through the natural, and when this happens, this happens when we're repentive, when we turn from our wicked ways and towards a straight and narrow path. John the Baptist was a voice that was raised up to create an entrance for the living word to come through. And when that happened, people's lives were changed. They were amazed at the power of God. That voice created the entrance for the living word. And that's what happens when we repent. It creates an entrance for the living word to come alive within us, to come through our lives, and that will bring change and transformation. He says his winnowing fan is in his hand, and I told you what that means about God separating the chaff from the wheat. Just as the chaff would be separated from the grain, John is saying the king who is coming would separate the good from the bad. It was a picture of judgment, a judgment that could be avoided through repentance and by turning to God. In closing, I just want to read one more passage to you. This is Timothy, 2 Timothy 2. Remind them of these things. I'm reminding you of these things. Charging them before the Lord. I'm, I'm charging you before the Lord. Not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. In other words, not to be quarrelsome. Not to bicker, not to fight. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly divides the word of truth. 
but shun profane and idle babblings. For they increase to more ungodliness. Don't waste your time talking about stuff that doesn't matter. Their message will spread like cancer. Hamanias and Philetus are of the short sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of son. Nevertheless the, sol nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. Here's what I want you to hear. The Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, depart from sin. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, Peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Please hear me. The servant of the Lord, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Can I just tell you that I prayed for a spirit of repentance to be here tonight, to overwhelm us tonight. Maybe you've been sitting here thinking, oh, when is she going to be finished? And thinking, I've had enough already. When is it time to go home? If that's you, I'm not going to lie. It makes me deeply concerned for your spiritual well-being. It's time, church, that we prepare and make ready the way of the Lord. And we do that through repentance. Second Timothy says that we need to come to our senses and escape the snare of the devil, to realize that it's all been about a trap of the enemy. Sin, deceitfulness, the snare of the enemy, it's a trap by the enemy to hold you captive, to hold me captive. He talks about not quarreling with people, but being kind and gentle and patient because you understand they've just been taken captive in a snare of the enemy. They're held in a trap by sin's deceitfulness. The enemy has dangled sin in front of their eyes and said, do this, and they've taken the bait, and they're snared by the enemy, and now you are getting their nasty words. You're getting their unkind things they're doing to you. You are getting their, their, their bitterness and their their gossip and their malice, and you want to fight back. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Understand this. They've just been taken captive by the snare of the enemy. Instead of repenting of that sin, they've embraced that sin, and now the enemy is using them to get to you. Can you just open your eyes and see? Pray for them because they've just been taken captive. Pray they come to their senses and repent. I said to the Lord, 
Help me come to my senses and see where I've been taken captive by the enemy, where I've been caught in his snare, where I have called good, Lord, what you call bad, where I've said yes to what you say no to, where I have called fun what you call sin. Because it takes me captive to the enemy and brings destruction. And God is saying, dear ones, repent. Clean up your life because a visitation from the Lord is coming. He wants to come through your life in power. He wants to visit his people and be known by his people. He wants you to see his power and his authority at work in your life and he cannot do that if you have mountains of sin piled up, if you have valleys of depression and unbelief and hopelessness dug out in your life. He wants to come through with power and visit you and can I just tell you, I visited sin. I lived in sin. I'm with Paul where he says, can I just tell you, I'm the chief of sinners. I lived the chief of sinners. I promise you I did. There is nothing that you could come up here and say to me, Rhea, I did this, that I probably couldn't say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But it leads to death. It leads to death. And I have learned the hard way that God's ways are the way to life. People say, why are you so crazy? Why are you so passionate? Why, why do you preach the way you do? That's why. Because I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I will spend the rest of my days declaring it. The rest of the days proclaiming it. The rest of the days, my days, being a voice that says, prepare the way of the Lord. Because he wants to come through. He wants to visit your life. He wants to radically change and transform you. But you have to make up your des the decision, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to look more like him? How much do you want to act more like him? How much do you want to see his power come through your life and radically change and transform you? It's a choice. Do you want to live in darkness? Do you want to live in corruption? Do you want to live in despair? Or do you want to see his power at work in your life? That happens through repentance. I, I'm going to ask Megan to come, uh, to come up and, and just play for us. I, I promised you that um, I really I felt the conviction of the Lord a number of weeks ago. Uh, for those of you who uh, were, have been with me for a long time, uh, we used to preach at um, Weatherstone Church. And <laughs> almost weekly, I brought people forward for prayer. Uh, I really that I really felt the conviction of the Lord to do that, because I, I think we can sit in our comfort zones, but when we come out of our comfort zone and we really encounter the Lord and His power, things change. And so, a few weeks ago, I was praying, and the Lord just said, "I want you to return to that. I want you to begin doing that again." Now, I'm mindful that some of you are looking at the clock, and it's eight o'clock, and you want to get home to bed. You rock home with your bad self. You just go quietly out if you'd like. Um, but I am going to ask you that you are sensitive um, to the other people around you because there are some people here who want the King of Glory to just come through their life and who have heard this message and really want to spend time repenting and seeking his face. And so as Megan begins to play... I'm just going to ask you to just stand to your feet for a moment. And 
I'm not going to make anybody do anything. I, you know, I, I don't have that kind of power. But I will tell you this, that so much of our life is about cool points. <laughs> and we think, uh, you know what, if she asks us to come forward for prayer, what are people going to think? Or what if she prays for me? Or what if she calls something out? And stay where you're at. I, I, I really don't care. I need to be obedient to what I've heard the Lord tell me to do. But John came, saying, prepare, make ready the way, the path, the road for the Lord to come through your life in power, to bring down those mountains of sin, to clear away the rocks of offense. There are some of you, today as I was praying for you, uh, uh, the Lord really showed me that there are some of you here tonight who have been carrying a, a, a load of offense in your life. And it's really clogging up your life. God wants to deal with that tonight. There are others here who are looking at the sin in their life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a behavior. Maybe it's a perversion. I'm, I'm hearing the word perversion. And it's a mountain. And it looks way too big for you to deal with. Can I tell you, the first step in dealing with that mountain and bringing it down is to just call it what the Lord calls it, sin. And to say, Lord, I'm willing to turn away from it and turn towards you in prayer. And I promise you, just that one decision will make way for the Lord, the King of glory, to come through your life and level that mountain and bring it down. For others, you're in a valley of depression or loneliness, self-pity, defeat. You're in a pit. God wants to raise up that valley, that deep valley that you're in. And he wants to visit you with his power. For others, you've been holding on to the rock of unforgiveness, bitterness. It's an, it's an <laughs> insurmountable mountain in your life. See, I, I know it's interfering with my relationship with God. I know I, I don't see him like I need to see him. I, I don't experience him like I need to experience him. But you don't know what's been done to me. All I'm asking you is to call that thing what God calls it. He says, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. He says, judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. Call it what he calls it, sin. He says, let no bitterness grow up within you. It'll grow up and defile many. Don't allow it to be there. Call it what he calls it, sin. 
Some of you say, I have anxiety. I'm, I'm immobilized by it. I'm paralyzed by it. It is time Leslie was tormented by anxiety. Sometimes couldn't even get out of bed. Do you know how she got free? Because she got a hold of a scripture and she realized that anxiety was sin. And she started to call it what it was. She said, Lord, it's sin because it's fear. And I'm saying, you won't take care of me. And she began to every time she felt anxiety rise up within her, she said, Lord, I'm repenting of anxiety. I'm not taking a drug for it. I'm repenting of it. And I'm calling it what it is. And the king of glory came through her life and visited her and set her free. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Do you have a battle with sin? Can I tell you about the one who is able? So it's making place. I want to pray for you. If you want prayer, please come forward. There's something about it. I, I'm just old-fashioned this way. I was raised in a little rural country church, and we tarried at the altar. Anybody remember days where we tarried at the altar? We tarried. We'd moan and cry out, and, <laughs> and the king of glory came in power and just overwhelmed us. And I miss those days so much because now it's about cool points. But if you want prayer, I want to pray for you. And there's not any greater anointing here than there's going to be in the seat, but there's just something about stepping out that says, Lord, I'm making the way ready. I'm coming. I'm not letting any obstacle keep me from your glory. And so as Megan plays, I'm going to ask you, if you want prayer, you can come forward. And in a moment, I, I'll pray for you, even at your seats. Jesus.